Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special bonus release edition of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. So what we're doing, y'all, is saying thank you to everyone for joining us and making us such a success. And last night on our Real Life, Real Crime, friends, fans, and crew Facebook page, the private page, we've passed 1,000 members. We also passed 82,000 downloads yesterday. So as promised, I said I would unlock one of our patron episodes that's in the vault for everybody. So this episode is to say thank y'all and I appreciate you. And we are going to be having new audio starting this week coming, but this section i'm recording for you now is new audio and but the episode you're going to hear today that's been locked up for a while y'all have to remember that that's under our old system so if there's any audio discrepancies that's the reason why but i promise you we're going to get better and continue to improve and like i said we've purchased the equipment and everything and we're just figuring it out step by step but hey We love you, each and every one of you. I appreciate you. And Dream Team moderators, love you. Y'all rocking it. We did it. Passing a 1,000 members in three months, people. On on the private page, 82,000 downloads of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Our fans rock. And we've done several promos, and we got several more promos coming up, including the Minds of Madness Love him. Tyler is a super dude. Y'all go check his show out, Minds of Madness. He's won all kinds of awards and everything. They're out of Canada, and he's actually helping us with our audio and stuff. But anyway, here is your bonus episode, and it is titled Deal, Deal, Gone. Thank y'all. Love you. Until next time, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me 
by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And I'm Woody Overton, your host, as always. And this episode is your second bonus episode for Tier 3 members that I promise to give y'all at least once a month. And in this episode, I'm going to be telling you the story of a true bad guy in his own way, and his name is Jamie Cooper. Jamie Cooper was a African-American from the city of Denham Springs, Louisiana, and that's in Livingston Parish, and it's the biggest city in the parish, and now it's really, really big, but I'll bring you into the story. On August the 5th, 2004, the Livingston Parish Special Response Team got a request for assistance from the Denham Springs Police Department. Now, Two different jurisdictions, and of course the sheriff's office supersedes all the city jurisdiction in the rank of authority, if you will. But the Denham Springs had its own city court and stuff like that. But Livingston Parish was like, I think like 95% white at the time. And inside the city limits of Denham Springs, there was a an area that was predominantly black or African-American, and it had a street running through it named Rodeo Drive. And it was notorious for crack dealing back then. And again, this is right when meth was kicking off. And eventually, meth would become so big in Livingston Parish that the crack dealers would have to get on welfare because the meth just shut it down. But back then, it was still very, very strong in this area. Now, Denham Springs couldn't keep up with it and they had a pretty good police department it was small one detective it was Patrick McNabb at the time and there was only so much that they could do right you turn into the hood in a police car now the hood was probably Rodeo Drive area that's what I'm talking about was probably maybe four or five blocks long and maybe four or five blocks horizontally so it wasn't that big and it was in the middle of the city there's no way there's only a couple streets you could turn on to get into it and there's no way you're getting in without being seen so they were having crack epidemic and they couldn't catch them Denham Springs Police Department just couldn't get the guys because they knew who was on duty when the bad guys I'm talking about the dope dealers they knew who was on duty when they had lookouts that when a vehicle turned to the neighborhood, the dope dealers hid their stuff. I mean, they just couldn't catch them, and it was really, really bad. It was bad enough that they called Sheriff Willie Graves, who was our sheriff at the time, and asked for assistance from our special response team. Now, I was on the special response team. Jason Ard, who is now the sheriff of Livingston Parish at this current day, Jason Ard was head of the special response team in Sheriff Graves called him in and said, hey, look, we got a request from Denham Springs PD. Rodeo drives. I'll acting up again. The hood's up. And we need to go shut them down. Let's go, go police them, right? And it was kind of a running joke back then that we would hit the hood every once in a while, whether it was in the one in Denham or the one in Walker or the one on the east side of the parish. I mean, when I say we would hit them, 
we go in there and just shut them down. And in Denham Springs, they called us the men in black. That's what we wore, the special response team, the dark navy blue uniform. And they knew the term on the street was, oh, shit, you know, when the men, the men in black are here. They knew they were about to get policed correctly, if you will. So sheriff calls Jason in. Jason calls the SWAT team in, their special response team in. And we develop a plan. We get in some unmarked vehicles and go hit the hood, right? We're going to ride around, spot people, jump out on, on the dealers that are dealing in the street, et cetera. Now, Jason, really, really good guy, a really good friend of mine and really great leader of men. And he knew of one of the dealers that the Dennis Springs Police Department was complaining about, and his name was Jamie Cooper. Jason had arrested Jamie numerous times before. I mean, he said, I know where he lives up on Maryland Street off of Rodeo. So we knew who he was, or at least Jason did. I'd never met the guy. And so, anyway, SWAT team plans up, break up into teams, et cetera. And we were in a van, an unmarked white van. It was me and Jason Ard. I said, Jason's the sheriff now. And Denny Perkins. And Denny Perkins is another excellent cop we worked everything together from the street to detectives to srt etc and anyway denny's just a great guy a great cop and then we had an officer or corporal and from uniform patrol with denham springs police department and paul coleman i think his name is that was with us and so we're cruising through the hood and uh, the windows are tinted out nobody can see who's in there etc and we turn on to maryland street and we saw a vehicle, another van parked in the street and there was like in the middle of the street, right? Or stopped. I shouldn't say parked because I think the driver just had his foot on the brake and there was a black male leaning through the window. And due to my prior knowledge, I mean, it it appeared to be a hand to hand drug deal, but he didn't pay any attention to us. Right. And uh, he did the exchange or what could have been the exchange and he turns around and starts walking from the vehicle. And Jason's like, that's him. That's Jamie Cooper. That's him. So we bail out and we're walking up to Cooper. And he had his, his back to us. And then he, as he turns around, it was still on the edge of the street. It wasn't in a yard or anything like that. He had two folding chairs. He turns around and sees his eyes go, oh, shit. And he sits down immediately. He sticks his hands underneath his legs. Well, shit, I don't know if if he's got a gun uh, or what the deal is. Uh, I drew my pistol and like, show me your hands, show me your hands for officer safety. Show me your hands. And he wouldn't comply. And so we approached him. I'm like, hey, dude, you better show me your hands. And everybody was, all of us were given the loud verbal commands at that point. And told him, stand up, show me your hands. And finally... At the last second, he stood up and raised his hands. And as he did, two bags of crack fell out from behind him. So we took him into custody and advised him his rights. And he was under arrest and then booked him into the jail for possession of cocaine. And I did the standard Louisiana State Police Crime Lab evidence form to submit the crack cocaine to, to be positively tested for crack cocaine, right? And that's it. So that night, I don't know, we probably arrested 15 people and we just hit it so hard for a couple of nights that people quit going in there. Right. Everybody knew we were coming and we were in there one way or another. It's another job accomplished for the special response team. So 
Time goes by and Cooper decides he's going to go to trial on this possession of cocaine. Well, the one thing his lawyer tried to do the morning of the trial was to have a motion to suppress my seizure of the cocaine. And he tried to say that I unlawfully made him show his hands, etc. And they didn't hear on it. The judge said, look, we're fixing to have the trial in it was a bench trial, the judge, and fixing to have the trial, and I could rule on it in trial or whatever, and they approached the bench and talked about it, and then they didn't. I didn't hear anything else about it. I went through the trial, and I testified exactly the same thing I just told y'all. You know, it's a high-traffic dope area, crime area. We were there for that specific reason. We had intel on Cooper also, even though I had never seen him before. We, the only reason you walk up to a vehicle that's in the middle of the street and put your hands inside of it in that area at that time of the night, I think it was like 10 o'clock at night, is making a dope deal. And the guy drives off. We we get up on him. He sees us. He immediately sits down on the chair and hides his hands underneath his legs. And like I knew from my experience either it was going to be gun or, or dope or both. And... I testified just what I told you, and the judge found him guilty and sentenced him to five years on the possession charge. Okay, so after that, Cooper appeals to the appeals court and states that he had ineffective counsel and that I also was illegal in making him stand up and show his hands. And the appeals court comes back and states no, that the due to the location and the my experience, et cetera, I wasn't placing him under arrest at that time. He was hiding his hands for a reason and for officer safety, et cetera. I did the right thing. So they upheld my part of it. The motion to suppress was denied. And the ineffective counsel was, uh, he was claiming that his attorney should have had the motion to suppress ahead of time. That was denied. Etc. So you, you think that's it, right? Jamie Cooper goes away for five years and he's doing his time and the court of appeals denies the court of appeals denies his request for relief, you know, saying that I, I did shit wrong and that his attorney did wrong. Right. Well, Cooper gets out and he goes right back to the hood, right back to doing his thing. And then, and in February of 2012, undercover narcotics agents recorded Cooper on video selling cocaine. And then they arrested him on February 22nd of 2012. Okay. So on March the 12th, he gets out on bond, a $25,000 bail. And 10 days later, on March the 22nd of 2012, Denham Springs Police arrested Cooper again for possession of a controlled dangerous substance. And one of the Denver Springs cops saw Cooper throw a plastic bag containing white stuff, substance in it out the window. Whenever the, the cop saw Cooper going down the street, he pulled in behind him, didn't try to initiate a traffic stop or anything. This dumbass throws dope out of the window and, and broad daylight in front of the cop. Right? So the cop gets the dope and they stopped Cooper and shit. They arrest him again. So Cooper decides he's going to roll the dice and go to trial again. Well, unfortunate for him, 
he had two things against him. One, the prosecutor, David Guidry, who was a veteran and a super guy and a hard ass prosecutor was prosecuting. And David just, he didn't play with stupid criminals. Right. And the other was he went before judge Doug Hughes. Now judge Doug Hughes was and still is to my knowledge, was just one of the toughest guys, but fair, very, very fair. I mean, if the cops were wrong, he'd just, he'll throw it out in a second, but he would drop the hammer on a bad guy in a second. And especially if the prosecution offered you some kind of plea bargain ahead of time and you said no, and you, you want to be a hard ass and go to trial, then he would smash you, right? <laughs> so they would couldn't work out a, a plea bargain, right? And then you got Cooper, who just got out from doing the five years, the initial five years on my case, and then he's right back in the streets slinging dope, destroying lives, and he gets arrested, gets out on bond, and like 12 days later, he gets arrested again. Same shit, right? I mean, he's not going to change and then he goes to trial for Judge Hughes, and they presented the facts of both cases. And of course, packaging that he threw out in front of the police officer came back, tested positive from cocaine from the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab. And the he can't deny that they had him on video, which they played at the trial of him selling to the undercover narcotics agent. And of course, that evidence also tested positive through the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab for, guess what, cocaine. And so, shit, I mean, I, this, just a dumbass Cooper was. I mean, how are you going to dispute the video? And, I mean, you could maybe dispute the officer's evidence of you throwing the dope out and him picking it, but how in the hell are you going to dispute the video of you selling to an undercover narcotics agent? So I guess he thought he would win on appeal or whatever, but he sure as hell didn't think about what the full ramifications could be, right? So he's found guilty on both counts, and there is a sentencing date. Cooper draws Judge Hughes, and everybody knows if the district attorney offers you any type of plea bargain, you better take it uh, because if you go to trial and you waste Judge Hughes's courtroom time and he finds you guilty, you are going to get slammed. He's going to, I mean, he's just going to hook you up. So he's on trial or going to stand trial the next day for distribution of a Schedule II narcotics, which is just distribution of cocaine. And that's him selling to the undercover agent on tape. And then possession of a schedule two controlled substance. And that's for the dope that he threw out the window in front of the police officer. Well, he waits until the day of the trial and decides to change his plea from not guilty to guilty. And now he's thinking he's going to get like a slap on the wrist or whatever, or he's going to get a sweet deal with this time. David Gidger's like, fuck it. I'm not offering him shit. And told Cooper that he said, the, you had your chance, and you made me prepare for trial, and it is what it is. You can change your plea and go before the judge. But Cooper really, 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 really didn't want to go before Judge Doug, right? 
And so he changed it and he went in and pled guilty and the judge had to read him what the sentencing guidelines could be from the minimum to the maximum, et cetera. And was he freely and voluntarily entering the plea of guilty? And Cooper said, yes. And he said, what'd you do? Cooper had to say on the record what he did. And he said, I sold dope to narcotics agent and I threw dope out the window, cocaine out the window. And he's Cooper's a cocky fucker. He just thinks he's going to get another five or 10 years or whatever. But Doug Hughes says, okay, Mr. Cooper, you have charges over many, many, many years. You just got out of prison. You appealed that process on five years. So I'm sure you're going to appeal this process on this case, but I'm going to give you 30 years at hard labor for the distribution charge. And so you can appeal it also. I'm going to give you another five years for the possession charge of cocaine to run consecutively. That means he had to do 35 years, 30. And then once he finished the last day of his 30 year sentence, he had to start a fresh five year sentence. And Judge Hughes said it's because of your prior convictions and you won't, you're not going to change your ways. And David Guidry, the prosecutor, says Cooper received the maximum possible penalty due to his multiple prior offenses. And, you know, that's that's a hell of a long time <laughs> to, to do for some cocaine, right? But, I mean, Cooper was a career shitbag, and he has appealed, even though he entered his own guilty plea. He's tried to appeal, and everything's been denied, so he's doing... 35 years and he was sentenced on February 7th of 2013 so do 85% of 35 years and you're hitting like 30 years so he'll get out in what 2043 something like that shit I'll be dead by then so he probably will too but that's it. That goes to show you that not all of our stories will be about homicides, et cetera. But I do like to do dumb criminals or career criminals and people that really get their sweet justice. And this guy really got his. And he's thinking, oh, fuck it, I'll hold off and they'll offer me a better plea bargain. And then when they didn't and he took the chance and went in there and pled before the judge, he's thinking he's going to get a slap on the wrist and Judge Hughes gave him the maximum on both charges. And that's one of the rare times I ever saw that a dope dealer get that much time, the maximum, especially when he pled guilty. Normally you plead guilty, the judge will cut you some kind of slack. But anyway, y'all, I appreciate you for listening. You know, if you heard this episode, you are a tier three patron supporter, and it means so much to us. And your support and your pledge helps us do these episodes and, and be able to spend more time and don't forget to use your hotline number and if you want merchandise you you get 30 percent off in the store if you buy a shirt or something it almost pays for the ten dollars a month that you're donating but i appreciate you and i know my wife cindy appreciates you and i just really want to thank you and each and every one of you 
I hope you enjoy this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast bonus, or we should say Lanyap here. And sphincter scale on Cooper. I mean, he's just he's just an asshole, period. I mean, I'll give him a five, maybe a six, but it doesn't matter anymore because, I mean, basically, he just got a life sentence or close to it, and he's never going to get out. But if you have any comments about that, let me know. And if you have any complaints, let me know because we're going to continue to strive to be better in our content and our editing and our format, et cetera. And we have a lot of new exciting things happening and appreciate each and every one of you. And if you haven't already go to YouTube and do the search engine part for real life, real crime. And we've got some videos on there now, as well as all our episodes or regular episodes, not our patron bonus episodes, but, and you can subscribe there and then we have Twitter and Instagram. I don't know too much about all that stuff, but the dream team moderators and my wife handle all that. But if you have any questions or whatever, just give us a shout out. And we appreciate those of y'all who called in and used the hotline number. It's awesome. Uh, everybody likes it. I mean, we had over a thousand downloads in less than like 15 hours on the one re- release yesterday. And we just hit 40,000 downloads today. Now, we didn't launch our first episode until like February the 9th. So that's February to March to April. Not even, I mean, two, two and a half months, 40,000 downloads is unheard of. But thank y'all for your support. And we love each and every one of you. And don't be like Jamie Cooper. Let me catch you down on Murder by You. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Thanks. She threw me right.